Monday, March 30th, 2020. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone that is listening is staying safe and healthy. Remember, social distancing is not the same as mental distancing. Don't forget to reach out to your loved ones, your friends, your family. And like I said in the last coronavirus episode, maybe even reach out to that friend in the military that you have followed on social media, but haven't spoken to since you picked up that DD-214. Reach out. Let them know that you're thinking about them. We now have 150 ratings, not even taking into account all the reviews. I remember just maybe six months ago, we were at 100 combined ratings and reviews when we released the Mel Brooks episode as a celebration of that. Now we're at 150 ratings, not even not even with the reviews. So if you've rated the show, thank you for your support. Also received a lot of support, a lot of positive feedback from uh, Darlene Iskris' episode on social media. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for engaging with the podcast. We also released uh, another blog on blogs.va.gov that gave you a wrap-up of all the bonus episodes that we have been doing on coronavirus or on COVID-19. Uh, in the blog, it details everything that is in those three episodes. So if you get a chance, check it out. And remember, the more podcast ratings and reviews that you do, not only lets me know how we're doing as far as bringing you the content that you want, the ratings, reviews, and subs and subscriptions, if you sub to the podcast, give us a better chance to climb the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, algorithms, which in turn allows us to reach more veterans out in podcast land and gives them a chance to listen in and not only hear these great stories, but the benefits breakdown episodes and information provided in the news releases. Speaking of news releases, uh, again, all the recent news releases have been COVID-19 related. And I have been covering all of those in our coronavirus updates that we've been doing now about weekly. If you haven't listened to them, check them out when you have a chance. Uh, There's updates on everything from new SOPs if you visit a VA facility to GI Bill housing allowance updates to cemetery standard operating procedures to information on home loan assistance uh, and more. So when you get a chance, check them out. All right. So thank goodness that I had so many veterans sit down with me before we went into this pandemic. I got a whole library to share with you. Uh, In addition, thank you to all those who have reached out to be interviewed during this time. I got a guest this week that who could be a good resource to you. He's a Naval Academy graduate, a submarine veteran, an entrepreneur, and the host of the Beyond the Uniform podcast. He is Navy veteran Justin Nasiri. Enjoy. After so many interviews that you've done, uh, now you get a chance to be on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of nice. I feel like I don't have to do anything. I just have to respond. It's it's uh, strangely relaxing being on the other end of the microphone. Is this something you do from time to time or is this pretty much uh, a one and I've done I've I've recorded three hundred and thirty three episodes where I'm the one asking the question I've been on. This will be my third that I've been on the other side. So much less experience. So, Justin, you have a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, that is, you know, really for me, any engineering degree for me is impressive. You worked on subs, right? 
I did. You know, the I, I should have done political science. I loved those classes. <laughs> I was good at them. And and electrical engineering, they they like the first year at the Naval Academy, they gave such a killer presentation on why that was such a good major. And I had no natural aptitude. It was basically three years of me like being dragged behind a car, just hitting my head on the side of the road. I had so much difficulty <laughs> in it. And, you know, I did go into submarines afterwards and had to go through the nuclear pipeline and I don't know if I could have done that without the electrical engineering background. So let's say it was a necessary degree, but certainly not enjoyable. And the moment I got out of the military, I was like, get me as far away from engineering as possible. <laughs> so, but, but that ended up being your MLS, correct? Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, submarines, uh, nuclear engineer. And then, uh, uh, yeah, about uh, five years in total. Very good. What What's it like being underway in a sub? Because mm. I've never done it. What What can you equate that to? It's it's kind of I've never used this analogy, but it's it's kind of like if you went uh, camping with a bunch of people and you got snowed in and you couldn't go outside and uh, <laughs> hopefully you've prepared to bring enough deodorant and books and movies and video games and snacks to keep you occupied. But it's not that bad. There's this there's this quote from Hamlet where he says, I could bind myself in a nutshell and count myself the king of infinite space. And I've always kind of applied that to submarines where the human mind is pretty incredible. You get used to everything. And so the first week always sucked. The last week always sucked. The one thing I'll say is it was really nice when you were underway because you knew that whoever you needed to get a hold of for whatever project you were working on, they're within a couple hundred feet of you. It's not like you have to call them at home or track them down. You, you can find them pretty easily. So you could get a lot of work done underway. But um, it would be difficult for me to go back and do that now, you know, not having email and HBO and things like that would be a little <laughs> bit more difficult. Absolutely. What year did you uh, graduate from the academy? I was class of 2002. Okay. All right. I set my feet on the Yolo footprints in 2003. So you were, you were right ahead of me. What compelled you to serve in the first place? Mm. Man, it's so f that I haven't been asked that before, I don't think. Um, really? You know, going back, man, I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago, right? I was like 17 or 18 when I when I decided to go to the Naval Academy so my my brother actually went to the Naval Academy before me, and it wasn't a path that I was really familiar with. And when I visited him at Annapolis, it was uh, there was a different sense of purpose there. And I, I felt very strongly at the time about giving back, about serving, um, about you know, I, I love, I probably everyone on your show says this, but I love my country and, and it felt like the right thing to do to raise my hand and, and stand forward and say that I was going to do my part to try to keep it safe and to try to keep it great. And yeah. that was driving a lot of it. And then I, I also did really admire the leadership training and I still feel this way. Like, I don't think that there's any equivalent leadership training like the one that I received at the Naval Academy and then in the Navy, like the amount of responsibility I was given, the amount of opportunity I was given, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I think those two things really drove me to, to a long time ago choose to, to serve. Roger. I think uh, uh, 
leadership development in any service is a desirable trait for anybody that's looking to hire someone. Mm. Nathan Goncalves, if you look at, if you listen to his episode, his was different. He said, man, I just need to change my life. <laughs> <laughs> it will do that. It will It definitely introduce a lot of change, whether you like it or not. 100% it, it will. Um, Justin, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor while you were in. Hmm. Um, you know, the first person that came to mind, there's actually a lot, but, uh, this one actually came from my time at the Naval Academy. The deputy, I think the title was deputy commandant was John Allen. He was, uh, he's now a general in the Marine Corps. General, general Allen? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I remember him as a, as a three-star and a two-star. He just, he still embodies to me leadership. He was so dialed in. I remember I, I talked to someone who knew him when we, he was at the Naval Academy as a student and they said that they, his shoes were so shiny that they used to joke that they, they were made out of elephant butt skin because they, the pores were so enormous that they would absorb all this shine. (laughs) And I I can imagine that, but he just, I I had the pleasure. I, I was in a leadership position where I got to meet with him daily and it was, it was, um, it was on the conduct side of things. So he was adjudicating and it was like midshipmen who got in trouble. And so basically I was in the room as he's hearing their case and dispensing judgment. And he, you know, he talked in, I uh, no no exaggeration. When he talked, I sat up straighter and I wanted to be a better man, a better officer, a better person. Wow. And he just, um, he embodied this sense of doing the right thing when no one was looking, because that was the only way to build the muscle. And, and I'm fortunate to say, you know, I had a fair number of bad examples of leadership in the military and I had some exceptional ones and, and general John Allen was one of the best of just, just completely embodying integrity and, and doing the right thing. Gotcha. Yeah. I think, uh, I think everyone has those, those bad, that bad leadership ex- experience in the military. And then you, you, you can still pull something away from them. It was like, mm. I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to be that. But yeah. It's you know, it's humbling too. It's humbling because I totally agree. And, and as you said that, I realized, shit, for someone out there, I'm the bad leadership example. Like there's someone out there who, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's, I think that's part of the learning too, is we're all 100%. learning. And, and so I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes and people learn from my mistakes. And I'm, ter- I'm sure at times I was a great leader too. And people learn from that. And it's kind of humbling to realize that there's probably people with stories on both sides of the spectrum. It's an exact, that's, I, I, I can share that same experience. I know there's some duty stations where I was looked at as like someone that they, you're not going to want to follow. Mm. Uh, and then I had the complete opposite experience with some other duty stations. Absolutely. 100%. What a, what a, that's a good statement there, Justin. That's awesome. Mm. Mm. Um, so electrical and engineering wasn't your thing. Uh, at what point did you decide to get out? So I, I got out at the five-year point. I, I, I had a five-year commit from the, from the Naval Academy. And um, the, the story of getting there was I was, on, I was on the USS Alaska, which is one of the Trident missile submarines, one of the bigger ones. And Roger. before I dropped my papers to get out, I said, I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing the right thing. So I volunteered. We, we literally pulled in on the Alaska from a three-month deployment. I hopped off the boat 
took a taxi to the airport, hopped on a plane, flew to Japan to meet up with the USS Chicago, and then went on a deployment with them for a couple months, pulled into the pier, got on a plane, flew back home, and then went on deployment with the Alaska. So I, I kind of volunteered to be oh. on deployment for about six months. But the intention was to say, hey, before I get out, I want to make sure I see both both sides of the coin. And after I did that, I, I enjoyed the experience, but I knew that I wanted to to do something different. And and honestly, one of the things driving me was I, I didn't end up getting married for another God, 10 years after I got out. But I, I just knew that when I had a family and kids, I wanted to have a different lifestyle than the Navy would have provided. And that was one of the driving forces of me getting out. Hats off to the, to the, to the people that stay in for 20 totally, and have totally. families. Yep. Uh, I mean, you, you hear about the, all, and uh, hey, that, that spouse, that significant other, Hey, they deserve that flower, that, that certificate of <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Those, yeah. Um, so that was 07, right? That was 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like transitioning in 2007? It was, well, let's, let's think about that time. It was still had a pretty good economy, but heading into the great recession. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Though I didn't know it at the time. Uh, it was, it was great. I mean, what I, I used uh, business school as my transition. And so when I got out, I didn't really, I knew I was, I got out and I had so much terminal leave built up that I, I don't know, I got out in maybe March of 2007 and wasn't starting business school until like August. And so the transition was nice. I, I went and lived with my parents and then I, I just traveled for months and months and months all over the world, which was awesome and just a nice oh, wow. decompression. And um, and then the, the transition was softened for me because I, I had, it was like bumper bowling. I was in, it was in school. And so I was surrounded by classmates who had been working. I was able to learn about their careers and I was able to just kind of really come up to speed from the military to a civilian career of understanding what my options were, what I might like, what I might not like starting to learn the lingo and starting to, um, honestly starting to like, uh, not not recover from my time in the military. That makes it sound like a bad thing, but I I don't think when I got out, De I decompress maybe a little decompress, bit. Decompress, yeah. I don't think when I got out, I thought I needed to de decompress. Decompress is the perfect word. Um, I don't think I realized I needed that. And and business school gave me over two years to decompress, and I definitely needed it, even though I didn't know I needed it at the time. I think nobody knows that they need it when, yeah. they, when they first get out. You That's know, I, true. Uh, my I, my first uh, about I think it was two weeks into my first gig outside of the military. Um, my boss sat down next to the edit, edit bay, and he was like, "So word on the street is that you curse a lot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was like, "Look," and as like, I was like, oh, "You know, I'm sorry," and he's like, "Look," I, he's like, "It's fine." He's like, "I told him that I hired a marine." He's like, but 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 just help me out, you know. Oh my god! It's but, great I mean, that he it, said that for you, too, though. Like, how else? How else will you learn it? Absolutely. I mean, it, it was great that um, uh, NASCAR gave me a, a chance to to learn a new culture. Mm. They didn't. They didn't just cast me out the, mm -hmm. at, the, at the first sign of uh, maybe he not maybe he might not fit in. So mm. I really appreciate that from uh, from my boss there. Um, so a couple of things you traveled. Where'd you go? Where's the, give me, give me one of your favorite places that you went during that, during that travel in the world phase. I, so I went and my, my brother who's in the military too, he was able to join me for a little bit. We, we spent, I mean, we, we traveled all over Southeast Asia and then I went and traveled through Africa and 
I, I kind of regret it because it was like, you know, this phase of my life where it was like we were just doing like, you know, a city every couple of days. And now I'm like, God, I wish I would have just stayed in one spot for like a month and gotten to know it. I was like such a tourist running around. Sure. Um, I think I think one of my favorite spots was Hong Kong. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time in like Vietnam and Cambodia and other places. But Hong Kong, we, we were always flying back to that airport and always had a little bit of time there. And it was such a cool, it just felt like this up and coming area. And so many people were in transition in their life who were there, the, the expats that were living there. And there was so much energy. It's the same. It's like the same sense that I get still when I'm in New York, where I'm like, oh, man, like there is so much going on here. Like I could I could stay here forever. Hong Kong was like that, but it was this foreign blend of that Asian culture where, you know, everything was just like so different. The food, the smell, the 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 letters, everything was so wildly different. It just um it still today feels like this sense of um I don't know, it felt like a portal to a different world. Wow. Outstanding. That's one place I really haven't done much traveling is, is Asia. I think my, part of it's because of my wife. She doesn't. She has no interest. In I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got a nine month old son. I'm like those days of traveling to that part of the world are done for a little while. I think Europe might be a little <laughs> bit more manageable. Or honestly, we're in Denver now, and I'm just happy just driving around Colorado. There's so many cool spots. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're the first person that has mentioned that transition was great. Hmm. Honestly, it was a you know, was there any kind of uh, any kind of stress when you got out? Yeah, um, you know, so here's my 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 answer to that is no. I mean, like my experience in business school was like you know, it was two years of partying. It was like two years of like <laughs> being around people who love to plan. And I, I was always the guy that liked to plan things. And then to be around all of these people and like literally every day was like, okay, for dinner, do I want to go to this dinner party? Or do I want to go to this? Or do I want to go hear the CEO of Pepsi talk? Or do I want to go tour this business? It was like a buffet where every option was a delicacy and it was every single day there was a million options. So my my experience was incredibly positive, but but yeah. one of the things that led me to start beyond the uniform was to realize that that's not the typical answer. That that for most yeah. people, we we spend a lot of money and time training civilians to become warriors, but we don't. In my opinion, we don't spend the equivalent amount of time and energy reprogramming those warriors to become civilian professionals again and, and helping them figure out what they want to do. And, and, you know, specifically for me, not just finding what you want to do, but like finding the ideal career path, the ideal job that uniquely meets the needs of each unique person and their families. And yeah. that was the, the motivation of starting that program. Gotcha. Um, so you, you went to Stanford, correct? I did. You got a, yep. ma you got a master's from Stanford. Yep. Was that on the GI bill? It, it wasn't, but I, at the time I didn't, um, I don't think I qualified for the GI bill for some reason. It was like, because I was at the Naval Academy or I would have needed to have served seven years. There was some weird thing. And everyone I talked to, I'm like, man, if you have a chance to use the GI bill, definitely do. But no, yeah. it was, uh, it was paid out of pocket. It was a lot of money, but you know, you kind of recoup it over time, but it, it took a long time to, to get rid of those student <laughs> loans. It took a long time. I've an out-of-state student, Stanford. Yeah, master. Yeah, yeah. Can't really imagine what that what that was. Um, have you used any other VA benefits since you got out? 
I I have I'm not sure if this counts. Yeah, I, I, I think this counts. The um, the assistance in buying a home is that that's that's VA. Oh yeah, yeah, VA, yeah. the VA home loan. Yeah, program. it's in the name. Yeah, the VA home loan. I used it. You know, I I I regret that I never used it until last year. I've been out uh, what over. 10, 12 years now, and I never once used the GI Bill, or the the, the uh, VA uh, home loan, and it was incredible. It was, yeah, it was such a good experience, very positive, and we got our bought our place here in Denver because of that. Did you know that there are uh, VA refinance loans now? Well, <laughs> program so. I, okay, so I the moment the moment there's some there's some uh, uh, amount of time until you qualify for that. And the moment that time occurred, we were getting mailers every single day. We were getting like 10 pieces of mail a day about it. And I just thought it was a scam. And we actually just did that. We, we literally in the last month did like a VA home refinance and really? uh, yeah, yeah. But it was, um, uh, yeah, it, that's a good program as well. You're the first person, uh, that that's even talked about it. I haven't even done a benefits breakdown. So talk to me a little bit about the, about the refinance. Um, since you're the first person that I've even heard use it. It was great. You know, I, uh, uh, it was my wife who kind of did all the, the paperwork and the process, but they were able to get us a much better rate and they were able to lower our monthly payment. And then they were able to, we like miss a couple months of payment. So then we, we save a ton of money from that. So when she, I mean, it was one of those things where it seemed too good to be true. And then she just walked me through it. I'm like, wow, yeah, this is a no brainer. We should do this. Wow. Wives are the best, man. Yeah. You know, you, you heard my story. Yes. They, they know what they know what's best for us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Your wife was instrumental in getting your your job. I love that. I still think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She like I said, I'm the dreamer. She builds the ladder. Mm. It's just the way it grows. Um, so now you're you're the host of your own podcast, Beyond the Uniform. Um, but before that, you founded a, a company or uh, an app if you will, called Storybox. And, and when I did my research, man, it, it looked like a pretty, it looked pretty powerful for companies that want to sell what they're showing on their social media channels. Yeah, it uh, was great. You know, I, I left business school and um, I thought I would go to a big consulting company and I accepted an offer there. And then I had, this is when the economy tanked in 2009. So I had about nine months between graduating and starting my job. And I was just tinkering on an idea and that idea got some traction. And I just fell in love with, with startups. I love the thought of finding something that sucks, finding some pain point and then finding a way to solve it. And so I went to the company where I'd accepted the offer and I said, you know, I, I hate to do this, but I, I'm not going to come. I, I will probably be begging you for a job in three or four months, but I just love what I'm doing and I want to give this a shot. And uh, two weeks later, or maybe it was two months later, I, I received the first round of uh, venture capital funding for my my company. And you know, tech entrepreneurship is is no joke. It was such a roller coaster, ups and downs. We went from one employee over time to like 25, 28 employees back down to four. And we did that sort of roller coaster a number of times. But I learned so much in the, the 10 years I was doing that. And it was so much fun. And it was, uh, yeah, it felt like a PhD experience in learning how to, to start a company and grow a company. That's outstanding. How did, talk to me about venture capital funding. You said you got you. You just received your first. Oh, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, it sounds. I'm sure it sounds simpler than what it is. It is. You know, I feel like more and more 
everything is is sales, right? Like I even look back on it when my online dating days, you know, sending out little <laughs> messages and stuff. It was all it's all kind of a numbers game of finding people, reaching out to them, and then what some percentage of them you you actually go uh, close the deal on. And uh, I felt that was with venture capital. I met with uh, so my first round of funding was. Uh, $350,000. It was from angel investors. And I probably met with 50 or 60 different investors, which meant I probably reached out to 10 times that many. And, you know, that's the reality of it was 60 conversations of being grilled by people and, and walking through a presentation that explained my business and they would ask questions that I didn't have the answer to. And so then I'd go to a <laughs> coffee shop for a few hours and I'd completely rip apart and redo my presentation. And I'd meet with another investor and the same thing would happen. And um, so it was a very iterative experience of, of pitching. And, you know, it kind of feels like you're tap dancing to, in front of an audience to get money to feed this baby that you want to grow into a full-fledged company. And so, you know, part of it sucked, but part Part of it was awesome. Like some people that didn't invest um, gave me some fantastic advice. And so I was meeting with essentially mentors and getting all this like wisdom. But it's it's very nerve wracking. And I did that again with venture capitalists and raised about two and a half million dollars and somewhat of a similar wow. experience. But, um, you know, that the thing I'll say for aspiring entrepreneurs is that when I met my my now wife, I was 20 pounds overweight and just stressed out of my mind. And she brought a, a lot of balance back to my life. And it's very easy to lose balance and to, to get life out of whack when you're, when you're running your own company. It's very easy to have that become all consuming. Uh, 100%. 100%. And it's, it's good to have someone there. To write to write the ship, if you will. <laughs> Very. <laughs> I'm gonna, if I'm going to use it, Very I'm going to use a navy term. Yep. Um, are you still involved with that company that you founded? I I am. It is um, one of the great things. It's 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 a field called software as a service, which is great. It means that companies pay every single month to use our software. And um, we have had clients with us for eight years or more. And um, so it continues to generate a lot of money. I kind of reached a point a number of years ago where I realized that it wasn't going to be uh, it wasn't going to be a hundred million dollar company. It wasn't going to you know go public on the stock exchange. It wasn't going to be this massive thing. And so I, I um, started to spend time doing other things. And, um, but I still devoted, uh, the time, I still devote the time every week to kind of keep it running. And I've got others helping me do that, but it was a decision process of, okay, this is not, this is not what I really want to do full time. This is not going to be fulfilling and also not going to get me financially where I want to go. And yet it, it generates a, a fair bit of money and makes a lot of clients happy. And so we decided to keep it going. Very good. Give me a quick, uh, quick, you know, elevator what what it what story box is yeah I, I kind of said so but yeah so the, the premise is that people trust each other more than marketing and so what we do is we we help companies take their advocates to speak on their behalf and the main way we do that is with instagram so if i'm wearing a patagonia 
jacket and I take a photo of myself, a little selfie skiing, and I put it on Instagram, um, our technology finds that photo. It gets the permission to use it. It adds it to Patagonia's website. And that way, when I'm looking at that jacket, rather than seeing a model, rather than seeing some actor wearing it, I, I see a real person wearing it. And I, it's much more relatable. Yeah. So it's, it's, it definitely serves a need and it's, it's pretty powerful technology. No kidding. Um, I, there's, I got, a, I mean, there's now a million questions. Like how do you even design something? Like that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Feature incredible. by feature, you know, it, it, it changed a million times. And, um, you know, what I learned about entrepreneurship and I failed at this quite a bit, but it's, um, really listening to your customers. And so, you know, we would have a customer where they said, Hey, it would be great if we had this feature that did this over here. And sometimes we'd ignore them and then we'd hear another customer and we'd hear another customer and then eventually we'd say, okay, we got to build that. And so we'd build it and then all of our customers loved it. And so it, it does, um, there's, it's a never ending process of getting feedback from customers and potential customers and thinking of what would make their lives easier and building it. And sometimes the things we built weren't used and we were off, you know, many times, but over time it starts to build into this really broad platform that meets a lot of needs. Very good. Um, but now you've, you've turned your attention to podcasting and podcasting about veterans in, in transition. And you've been doing it for a while, over 300 episodes, right? Yeah. 300. And I, I just before this, I recorded episode 333. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, you know, beyond the uniform, what made you podcast about that specific time in a veteran's journey, the transition? So about three years ago, and and I'll and I'll say that when I when I left the military when I was at business school, I, I kind of, you know, I wanted to get away from the military. I'd been there for nine years, and so I I distanced myself in many ways. And um, three years ago, I was at a birthday party and just happened to be um, the husband was a good friend. He's he's was in the Marines at the time, and so most of his friends there were in the military, and I just heard them all complaining about what they were going to do when they got out of the military. And it was a, a pretty powerful reminder. I was like, oh man, I remember that. That sucked. I had no clue what I was going to do. And I was fortunate to go to Stanford and spent a ton of money and a ton of time. And that, <laughs> and that solved the problem for me. But I was like, you know what? That's not that's not a path that everyone can take. And it's not a path everyone should have to take. And so I, I spent probably four or five months thinking just on and off about like, okay, how do you solve that problem? And I remember I was in uh, the Portland airport on a layover. I was walking to my next flight and I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast and the light bulb went off and it's like, oh man, I don't, I don't need to have the answers. I don't need to know what career someone should or shouldn't do. I can just follow this format where I can just meet with really cool, interesting veterans, learn about what they do, learn about how they got there, have them explain what their day-to-day -day life looks like. And, and that was the, the starting point of beyond the uniform. And, you know, I, I haven't gone back and listened to the first couple episodes. I'm sure they're pretty terrible, but like anything else, <laughs> you get better over time. And exactly. what I what I really love is just being, you know, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't really care whether someone stays in the military, whether they get out. I don't care what job they take, but I, I don't want them to take I don't, I don't want them to stay in the military out of fear. And I don't want them to get out because they think the grass is green or I want them to make an informed decision. And so what I'm proud of is that in 333 episodes, we, we've covered a lot of ground and we, we hear from listeners that 
eventually choose a career path that they'd never heard of. You know, they said, hey, I, I heard this person talking about what it was like to do business development at a tech company. And that's what I do now. And that was one of the things that helped me get there. And that, that makes me that's feel really, really cool. good. That's really cool. Um, what is one life hack or like a vet hack that you've learned from either a guest on Beyond the Uniform or in your own journey? Um, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of cite it cause it's top of mind. I just interviewed this guy and, and, and let me just say that the, the wonderful thing with this three year podcast journey is I feel like I I've had hundreds of conversations with mentors and advisors. Like I learned something from every conversation and it's true. I, I just got off an interview with this guy, Rich Cardona, who started a video production company. Oh, I know Rich. Yeah. yeah. What a, man, what an incredible human being. I just, you know, it was one of these conversations where I just was just not wanting to interrupt him because he was just spewing so much gold. And one of the things that um, I appreciate about his story is he, you know, he followed his intuition many times. He, he followed his intuition to get out of the Marine Corps after 17 years. He followed his intuition to leave a company that wasn't right. He followed his intuition to leave Amazon, this dream job to start his own company. And so, you know, Incredible. definitely I learned from him this, this example of like trusting your gut. But the, the other piece that relates to entrepreneurship is he flew out, he uh, met with this mentor of his and he was following her around and videoing her. And um, as he was doing that, he uh, videoed her on a panel and videoed the other people on the panel. And then afterwards, he edited that footage for every single person on the panel and sent it to them and said, hey, no charge. This is, you know, I, I thought you looked, did great on the panel. Here's a video. Here's all this content. Feel free to use it. And, and that took a lot of work. But he talks about how doing that work for free it was good practice for him to get better at this video editing skill, but it also yeah. led to him getting clients because they said, wow, this is awesome. I could use more of this. And it was just a good reminder that in, in entrepreneurship or even in a job, sometimes you got to do something for free. You got to drop your ego and just roll up your sleeves and deliver massive value at no, at no, at no fee. And that can lead eventually for him. It was six months later that can lead eventually to making more money. But oftentimes you have to take those first steps on your own out of faith. What I like about the community is that if there is one hand raised needing help, there will be another hand reaching down to get them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the trends I've seen in these interviews is that um, generally a lot of veterans are hesitant to ask for help. They're hesitant to kind of ask for people to assist them. And I think it's good for them to know that, like, man, anytime someone reaches out, I want to help them. And I know that's true of everyone I've interviewed. And and also we're all helping people out that ask us for help because when we got out, there were people there taking our questions and helping us out. And so it is great to see how supportive this community is. 100%. Uh, Justin, what is one thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? Mm, I, I, man, I think that determination is the one piece that really comes through. Mm. Uh, I, and I, may be wrong on this. I think that almost everyone who serves learns this, but it's like that trait of when there is a mission, I will break through brick walls to achieve it. Like I will not give up. I will get up early. I will stick to it. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I remember one of the early guys that invested in me said that he's like, Hey, you know, you probably don't know a lot about business, but what I like about 
you military people is your integrity, like your, your commitment. I know that you're going to just stick to it. And yeah. that's, that's one thing that I, I took with me is that like, if I, if I know what the mission is, I will do whatever it takes to accomplish it. Absolutely. Justin, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked that you think is important for our listeners to know? Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't found a effective way to communicate this. So I don't, I hope I don't offend listeners. That's definitely not my intention, but, um, in the 330 episodes I've done with beyond the uniform, one of the things that I've come to believe is that the biggest threat to our military community is a sense of entitlement. And by that, I mean that, um, we, we really do a disservice to our, our brothers and sisters in uniform by at least the, the story that I heard that I was in when I was in was like, hey, you know, the, the, the nation owes you a great debt of gratitude for your service. And, you know, you're going to get out and people are going to take care of you. And that's not my experience. And it was definitely not the experience of 90 plus percent of the people I've interviewed. Most of us get out and we're expecting to be taken care of. We're expecting to get a job right away. We're expecting to get guidance. We're expecting to get support. And my experience again in the last 10 plus years of being a veteran is that being a veteran, it, you know, gets me a free burger usually on Veterans Day and <laughs> maybe two or three times in the last 10 years, someone's bought me a beer for it. But beyond that, it, it hasn't, it hasn't directly gotten me something. And that wasn't certainly why I served. But um, I think a lot of times people are disappointed because they get out and they're like, where's the ticker tape parade? Where is the job lined yeah. up? And, and to get out with that mindset of like entitlement and then to realize, man, I'm going to have to fight tooth and nail to get the job that I want. I'm going to have to compete against someone who for the last five or 10 years while I was serving my country, they have been practicing interviewing. They've been practicing getting their resume ready. That's my competition. They are better prepared for the same job. Um, and I, I love this quote. One of the first guys I interviewed, Britt Young, said, look, you know, while I was in the military, it's not like my competition in the civilian sector was playing with Lincoln logs. They were working their butts off, too, and getting really good at their job. And so if, if there's one piece of wisdom that I, I could impart, it's that I, I hope that you adopt the mindset when you get out of the military that you're going to have to fight really hard to find the job you want to do and to get it. And if I've learned anything from beyond the uniform, it's like you can do anything. You can do absolutely anything you want to do when you get out of the military, but don't underestimate what it's going to take to achieve that anything. If you mm. want to get out and become a photographer for ESPN, I've got an episode on that. And it took a lot. It took it took years of taking a pay cut for that individual to do that. I, yeah. I have an interview with someone who became the CEO of Pepsi. He's a Marine. He worked his butt off to get there. So know that you can do anything you want to do when you take off your uniform and know that it's very likely to be a lot harder and take a lot longer than you expected. But just like I said, you've got that determination. You've got that mindset from the military. Just apply that to what you do next. Don't expect it to be easy and you'll be fine. We all come together 
and stand together to serve our veterans. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. I want to thank Justin for taking the time to be on our show. For more information on the Beyond the Uniform podcast, you can find them at beyondtheuniform.org. Our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week comes by way of our social media's Veteran of the Day campaign. Every day, our Veteran of the Day program honors a veteran on our social media channels by telling that veteran's stories. If you haven't seen them yet, check them out. They post every day around noon. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, in honor of the recent Medal of Honor Day, is Medal of Honor recipient Charles Coolidge. Charles Coolidge was born in 1921 in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. The Army drafted him in 1942. He went to Fort McClellan, Alabama for basic training. After completing basic training, he served with M Company, 3rd Battalion, 141st Infantry Regiment, 36th Infantry Division. In 1943, he went to Algeria to fight in the North Africa campaign. During that campaign, while fighting in Italy, he received a silver star. On October 24, 1944, Coolidge reconned positions for coordinating machine gun fire on Hill 623 in Belmont-sur-Bouton, France. I think that's how you say it. Now, the following is what I'm going to read from his Medal of Honor citation. They ran into an enemy force in the woods estimated to be an infantry company. Tech Sergeant Coolidge, attempting to bluff the Germans by a show of assurance and boldness, called upon them to surrender, whereupon the enemy opened fire. With his carbine, Tech Sergeant Coolidge wounded two of them. There being no officer present with the force, Tech Sergeant Coolidge at once assumed command. Many of the men or replacements recently arrived. This was their first experience under fire. Tech Sergeant Coolidge, unmindful of the enemy fire delivered at close range, walked along the position, calming and encouraging his men and directing their fire. The attack was thrown back. Through 25 and 26 October, the enemy launched repeated attacks against the position of his combat group, but each was repulsed due to Tech Sergeant Coolidge's able leadership. On 27 October, German infantry, supported by two tanks, made a determined attack on the position. The area was swept by small arms fire, machine gun, and tank fire. Tech Sergeant Coolidge armed himself with a bazooka and advanced to within 25 yards of the tanks. His bazooka failed to function and he threw it aside. Securing all the hand grenades he could carry, he crawled forward and inflicted heavy casualties on the advancing enemy. Finally, it became apparent that the enemy, in greatly superior force, supported by tanks, would overrun the position. Tech Sergeant Coolidge, displaying great coolness and courage, directed and conducted an orderly withdrawal, being himself the last to leave the position. As a result of Tech Sergeant Coolidge's heroic and superior leadership, the mission of this combat group, this combat group against the infantry company, was accomplished throughout four days of continuous fighting against numerically superior enemy troops in rain and cold and amid dense woods. A combat group against a company kind of reminds you of Thermopylae a little bit. The Army honorably discharged Coolidge in 1945. He returned to Chattanooga, Tennessee to work at his family business, which celebrated its 100th anniversary in 2010. 
A highway and a park in Tennessee have been named after him. In 2006, the French government awarded him the Legion to Honor. As of March 2020, Coolidge is one of two, with Marine Corps veteran Woody Williams being the other one, one of two living World War II Medal of Honor recipients still living. Thank you for your service, Charles. That's it for this week's episode of Born the Battle. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media, products, or services they may provide. I say this because if you're a veteran artist, if you create poetry or music, we will feature your art as our outro if you email us again at podcast at va.gov with all the pertinent details. For more stories on veteran and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.